Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. From our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Along with Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. He covers Notre Dame athletics as a big part of the Rivals Network. And we are here from our studios in downtown South Bend, Indiana. Seven minutes after five o'clock on this Thursday, December the 14th of 2023 11 days until the big guy makes his trip around the world Eric I hope that Santa Claus has gotten everything accomplished for all the grandkids coming up he at least has the request of five of the six of them (laughs) I asked the granddaughter who's the youngest I said what do you want Santa to bring you to Oh, it's a secret. I, I said, well, how's he going to know? And she goes, he knows. And I said, I think you need to write a letter. <laughs> I see. Did you ever get a copy of that letter? No. And she no. has not been, she's not yet convinced that I'm just not trying to get her to work on her handwriting. <laughs> she thinks there's an ulterior motive. Handwriting? You just type it out on <laughs> computer now and send an email. She might be able to do that. I don't know. Well, it's great to have you here. Great to have everybody listening in on 960 AM, WSBTradio.com, the WSBT Radio app. We've got the Twitch cameras going as well. Mike Burrell, if you've listened to this program for a long time, you might remember him being on the show. You might remember him as a guy who covered Notre Dame football at the South Bend Tribune. He has been at the Seattle Times, gosh, has to be close to a decade now, doesn't it? It's not a decade yet, but close. He's yeah, he's been gone for a little while. He was here when Showtime did the Notre Dame behind the scenes shows because oh, he wow. came on Sportsbeat yeah. and offered his opinions on it. And it was strange. I was watching it one night. There's my voice. It's like what? They started using 
Tidbits from our show. I never said who it was. No courtesies. No nothing. So I hope they enjoyed it. I know um, he was here when the new visitors tunnel um, was unveiled because he wrote a column about it and it was hilarious. Oh, I do remember that. And there was Terry Gillery was the focus of Showtime (laughs) way back when. All right, so Mike's going to join us at 530. He's with the Seattle Times covering the Huskies who are going to play in the college football playoffs on January the 1st. I want to get started right away because a couple of things happening with Notre Dame football today and last night. Notre Dame cornerback Cam Hart has announced he will enter the 2024 NFL Draft. So, Eric, there's a lot of reasons why Notre Dame was number one in the country in pass efficiency defense, and Mr. Hart is near the top of the list. He is. I I mean, you know, and and he's going to – probably project higher in the draft than people think. Oh, yeah. six because three. Yeah. Six three, two oh seven has those long arms and he has pretty good speed. It'll be really interesting to see what number he puts up in the forty yard dash. But I mean the fact that he was the field receiver most of the time for Notre Dame this year, I mean, shows that they have confidence in his speed. But yeah, I he told me before the season, he was going to be a first-round draft choice at the end of the year. That's not going to happen, no. but he certainly improved his draft equity over the year. At 6'3", with that speed and ball skills, he'll be a day-two pick. Yeah, I All would right. agree. So, Jaden Mickey, leading candidate to take his spot? In the bowl game, yes, and I would say probably long-term, too. I, I think he definitely deserves that opportunity and I think Jaden it's interesting because when you saw Jaden and Ben Morrison walking in you'd say Jaden is the one that's going to be a little bit ahead at least for a while he was the early enrollee played against a little bit better competition Um, and yet Ben Morrison jumps out but those two are inseparable they're even though their personalities are different they have both great work habits. Jaden Mickey has been through a lot in his personal life. His mom has battled a very serious illness. Um, but Jaden Mickey's going to be a really good football player. Christian Gray, Micah Bell at some point yeah. is too. So there's lots of talent coming up the pipeline at cornerback. Third straight year, the Irish bringing in a grad transfer kicker or using the portal to get a kicker. Mitch Jeter from South Carolina is coming to Notre Dame. Last two years, Eric, 23 of 25 on field goal attempts. He has not missed inside of 50. Beyond 50, he is 3 of 5, and on extra point tries, 77 of 80. Yeah, I think this is a great pickup for Notre Dame. And, you know, in just talking to Marty Biagi near the end of the year, uh, I believe it was Pete Sampson asked him, but I was in on that interview session. He asked him, is this something that you might do every year, go to the portal for a kicker? And he said it's, it's hard not to because it's really hard to evaluate high school guys. Even if they're in your camp, they might have had just a great day, but there's so many variables about, you know, what what the cooking surface was like, what the holder is like. You can't get a great feel for it but here you've had somebody that's tested in front of big crowds you have statistics that you can count on and Jeter's 23 of 25 that's difficult to argue with and he's already kicked an extra point after a Notre Dame touchdown pass a 
Tyler Buckner interception for six <laughs> there you go. in the Gator Bowl against South Carolina. And finally, no surprise, Joe Alt, Xavier Watts, become the 31st and 32nd Notre Dame unanimous All-Americans when they were named to the first team American Football Coaches Association earlier today. Well-deserved, to say the least. All right, let's get to some chat questions. Eric, of course, at InsideIndieSports.com every Wednesday at noon. He takes questions from around the world, and I've grabbed a few. Marie from Atlanta wants to know this. Hartman being out of the bowl game obviously gives Angeli a great opportunity. However, do you think the staff will plan to give a certain percentage of plays to Minchie, or do you think Minchie will only play if the game is a blowout? We'll, we'll certainly be able to ask Marcus Freeman that question on Saturday. My sense is that this will be very similar to how Notre Dame used Sam Hartman and Steve Angeli to this point. They want to they want to win this game badly, and and they feel like Steve Angeli gives them the best chance to do that. And then Kenny Minchie would play in a lower leverage situations if the game is a blowout. Uh, at the end of the game, I think he would play. I think they'd love to get him some snaps, but I don't see them making that a priority like in the first half when the game hasn't been decided. Jeff from Phoenix had a long-winded question. I think I can just narrow it down to this. With taking the chili and sea bass out of it? Yeah, see, I missed Monday's show, so that probably is the reason why I didn't get the reference. Right. So he goes on and on about some things on offense, but then he ends with, what approach on offense do you expect from Notre Dame in the Sun Bowl? Yeah, I I mean, if this was a full-strength game where you had everybody playing for both teams, Oregon State would be the best run defense Notre Dame statistically has seen all year. I think they're still going to lean into that, even though they're missing some key pieces on defense. I think they're still going to try to play that philosophy and force Notre Dame to beat them through the air. And... Uh, I think Notre Dame's offensive approach to that needs to be balanced. I, I don't think they want Steve Angeli trying to throw downfield 45 times to, to get Oregon State because Oregon State will probably load the box. Uh, two new tackles. Right, two new tackles. So I think you just want to keep things balanced. We may see Steve Angeli run a little bit. Um, given that this is the last game of the year, you're not risking – let her rip. For the next game, let her rip. And yeah. you got Kenny Minchie. He's ready to chomping at the bit. Maurice chomping at the bit for Kenny to be in there. So uh, um, I think, again, it's going to be a balanced approach. I'm going to guess Rui is the name of the person. R-U-I? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't have to pronounce it. I just have to look <laughs> at it right. because it's on there. I, I kind of in my mind – think his name is Rue, but I'm not sure. Well, it's a good question. Are we seeing admissions take a different approach with accepting undergrad transfers? When will 2024 entire schedule be released? But the most important part is what he asked about the different approach. Yeah, so certainly this is um, something that we're going to have to watch, but two guys so closely from different schools – in a situation where Notre Dame hasn't been able to get many people through admissions like that. Now, yeah. again, typically um, every admissions decision is made independently and so forth. 
But here were, was the snag, and this is why it's worth watching, Darren. There were two issues with taking somebody that deep into their academic career without a degree. One was transfer credits. Notre Dame's pretty picky about what transfers from another school. Even Brandon Joseph told me if he went pro early, which he did, it would be easier for him to get a Northwestern degree than a Notre Dame degree at that point. Uh, but the the bigger issue was there were deans that felt like there was a philosophical conflict with somebody coming in, taking one year of Notre Dame courses and getting a Notre Dame degree. They felt like the majority of the courses should have been earned on the Notre Dame campus. How can you give them a Notre Dame degree? My, my counter to that is wouldn't they be – taking the most difficult major classes and then earn that degree that way. Well, that's why this is worth watching because this breaks with that philosophy. That, okay. And so we need to see how Notre Dame has worked this. Is this a litmus test? And they're going to say, okay, let's see how these two work out. Or is this the beginning of the trend? But I, I asked Marcus the question about, finding middle ground with the admissions office, and he was effusive about, yeah, I think there's progress being made. Good. This is tangible evidence. It's a small sample size of evidence, but it's tangible evidence. Also, when will the 24 schedule be released in its entirety? I guess we're waiting on Army Notre the, Dame. The day before the 2024 season. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not sure what the holdup is at this point because we know it's Army Notre Dame. We believe it's going to be at Yankee Stadium. We also believe that it would be November 23rd. It doesn't. There doesn't seem to be a fit in the schedule where it would fit somewhere else and also fit Yankee Stadium schedule of not having a baseball team possibly playing. Well, they never play in October anymore, so if you want to move it to October, I mean, if it works. <laughs> What's true? So, well, you need to freeze the media. That's an open-air stadium. That's right. Yeah. I, will, I was there in November in 2010. Rutgers? It was well. I was there for the bowl game with Rutgers in and 2013, Syracuse. but uh, I believe it was the 2010 season. Army and Yankee oh, Stadium. That's right. Yeah. It was so cold. How cold was it? <laughs> it was. It was so cold that I had gloves, and I ended up cutting the fingers off the gloves so that mm. I could type and have gloves on my palms at the same time. I was, so smart. It was, so, so smart. Just so good. <laughs> it was pretty pretty cold. And then in 2013, when the bowl game was, it was a record high, 60 degrees. I had had food poisoning the two or three days leading up to it. John Finneran was there, decided that he wanted to get me a hot chocolate, and then he's coming down the stairs to where I was sitting, he trips and he spills the hot chocolate all over me. So that was fun. So that kept me warm for about four seconds. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Did you get a haircut in New York by chance? In Queens? <laughs> and I talked about Cassius Clay. There you go. If, if I'm not mistaken, I, I should have looked this up before the show, but I think Notre Dame faced Syracuse with Tommy DeVito. He was a backup quarterback. He came in because of an injury. Do you remember that? Yeah, in the Yankee Stadium game Phenomenal. later on. Yeah, yes, it was. And now he's DeVito. a hero. Yep. He begged the NCAA for another year this year at Illinois. It didn't work out, so he settled for being the New York Giants starting quarterback, right? Hey, All right, Doug from sunny Florida. Yeah, just rub it in, Doug. He we appreciate does. it. 
He says Pat Coogan has always been listed on the scholarship chart as a center. Do you anticipate him taking over at center long-term, which would then open up the guard position for someone like Shrouth? Right. I I will have a new scholarship chart as soon as signing day, so next Wednesday, and it'll reflect all the signees, and I'll move some people around and so forth. We'll have all the junior college guys, and we'll update that every time there's a roster addition or deletion. You know, Coogan came in and was training at center and then had an opportunity to win a job at guard, and he did. I think he could still end up at center. I don't think that's the only scenario. What I've seen of Ashton Craig so far, I've liked. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I, I think, Ooh. is Ashton Craig, though, one of your best five offensive linemen, or is he the best center? And and those are two important distinctions. And we have seen Notre Dame under both Jeff Quinn and Harry Heastan, who had the same best five philosophy. We've seen them go way outside the box on centers and come up with some good ones. Jarrett Patterson had never played center in his life, moves over there as an experiment in spring practice after his freshman year, when you know, basically never moves after that until – until he was a fifth-year guy, and then he moved to guard to help the team. Yeah. Um, and Nick Martin was another guy, a high school tackle. They thought had some guard in him, and they said, why don't we try him at center? He ends up being a second-round draft choice. So it could be somebody that surprises you like a Rocco Spindler. I'm not saying Rocco Spindler, yeah. but somebody like that. But Coogan will definitely be in the mix for center. With all the changes, I was thinking the other day, I need to make – a depth chart, what's going on. But then I remembered, ah, InsideIndieSports.com, and I printed out your depth chart, and it saved me about 35 minutes of work. So I appreciate that. Cool, and we update it again every time there's an opt-out. I'm going to have to reprint here in a couple of days. All right, Patrick from Atlanta. What is your view of the chances that we, Notre Dame, get another wide receiver in the portal this year? Well, again, the – there's not a lot, of, a lot of shelf life sometimes on this these answers. So at that moment, I think there were three wide receivers in play for that spot. I think there's one now, um, the Wake Forest kid whose name is escaping me, but I will think of it. Uh, Bryant? No. It's uh, Banks. Banks, yes. Yeah, yeah Jamal Banks. Um, you know, Kelly – from Washington was in that mix. I think he's going to end up at Texas Tech. Um, Macklin from North Texas, I think, is the guy that they really, really wanted with elite speed. He's committed to Kentucky now. That happened later that afternoon. I do believe that Banks is visiting this weekend. And I'm not sure if they'll look at more beyond Banks. Um, we had Connor O'Neill on our podcast and Connor covers both Duke and Wake Forest for rivals so he's he should have portal illustrated because of all the guys that come to Notre Dame from those two schools but I said who would you rather have between Banks and Bo Collins which some people think there's a redundancy and skill set there and he said he liked Banks as the better prospect there all right Final question, because we only have 30 seconds. Someone asked about Christmas lists, and they wanted a Christmas list for five people. Number five was Eric Hansen. So you want me just to say what Yours, my, yeah. I already got it. Best year of my life. How about that? Yeah. I love that answer. That is terrific. 
InsideIndieSports.com is the place for Eric's chats every Wednesday at noon, including next week, or does it change? It will be noon on Thursday next week because signing day is Wednesday, so we will be hyperventilating over 17-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> and one person did ask about Cam Williams, the five-star wide receiver, how much playing time he gets next year. Your 20-second answer? I think the pathway for him and his skill set is the easiest of the freshmen. I think they're all best. Abby Weffler. All right, Abby, thank you very much. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. And you can wave at the camera screens right now. Eric and I are live. We're in Washington colors. On the Twitch app. Enough. Yeah, you're wearing your Washington purple and... To be fair, Washington has been Eric's number one team for a couple of months, and what do you know? They're in the college football playoff with a chance to bring home a natty as a Pac-12 team. It was either wear the Washington purple or the fake cheese yellow for Mike Farrell. <laughs> That's right. Mike Farrell spent time covering Notre Dame football at the South Bend Tribune, and now he is doing great work out at the Seattle Times covering Washington football, and very, very soon he'll be taking over as the columnist at the Seattle Times. And we welcome Mike Farrell back to Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Mike, first off, we greatly appreciate your time. We know every writer and every broadcaster covering college football is busy with the portal and signing day coming up, but you've got another pretty good thing going on, that Washington football team and the college football playoffs. So we really appreciate your time this evening. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's nice just to be back on with you guys and hear your voice. I know it's been a couple of years, but obviously, you know, made some great bonds over in South Bend and grew up watching the Irish and being very glued into Notre Dame. So I'm happy just to hear your guys' voice again. Mike, did you expect Washington to be this good, to be a team that was going to have a chance to win a national championship? Yeah, I mean, that was really the expectation. My preseason prediction was that this team would be 11-1, and and it was something where, you know, they're 11-2 and a year ago, and then every single person who could have went to the draft theoretically decided to come back. And really the motto was unfinished business, and, and it, was, it was an odd team in that, you know, a lot of those, a lot of teams you cover don't want to talk about the end goals. You know, at Notre Dame, obviously, they do talk about those things, but they were very clear here that the goal was a Pac-12 championship in the college football playoff. They never shied away from that, and they talked about it very openly. So that's been the stated mission for this team, um, and it's taken a lot for them to get to this point. But there was never any doubt what the goal was, and obviously now they're here. Mike, I wanted to ask you about Michael Penix. Um, you know, I had seen him play a little bit when he was at Indiana. You look at his stats his last year at Indiana, and you're like, Hmm. Oh, my goodness. I, I wondered what the reception was when he transferred to Washington, what the expectation was maybe from the fan base, and then why he transformed into the guy that he did, do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting answer because when he came in, there was a thought that, one, this is a talented guy that just cannot stay healthy. He had had four seasons in Indiana every single season ended with a season ending injury. He never played more than six games. So that was the biggest thing. I mean, he had had some high highs, but in, in the end there, that last season in Indiana, he had a bunch of turnovers. He got hurt again. He's had a couple of ACLs. So I think people didn't know what to expect in locally. 
there was a five-star uh, kid named Sam Heward. It was a quarterback who was part of the Heward legacy. And there was mm-hmm. a couple, his dad, Damon, was a great quarterback here. His uncle, Brock, was a great quarterback here. So he was kind of the chosen one. And a lot of people wanted him to win that job. But Penix came in. Uh, he had been in this offense under Kalen DeBoer in Indiana in 2019 and had a lot of success. So he wasn't really learning a new offense. I think the biggest thing with him was that he understood everything. He understood the, the verbiage. He understood the system he was coming into. Uh, he had a really strong offensive line, um, and he had the weapons there already. It was kind of ready-made for him there. And he just he has an ownership over this offense where he understands everything. He understands you know, where the matchups are, where to go, if someone, something doesn't pan out. And that comfort was just there from the very beginning. And I think it doesn't feel like that a lot with transfers coming in. But for him, it was like he was already in the program because he knew the coaches, he knew the system. All of that was ready to go for him. Okay, and you mentioned Kalen DeBoer. Now, Ryan Grubb is the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach, and I know those two were together at Fresno. What would you? How would you characterize Ryan's role in Penix's rise? Yeah, I think, you know, when you talk about their time in Indiana, Grubb was not there. And, and right. the reason that, that Penix came to Washington was because he had so much success with DeBoer calling plays and putting him in a position to be successful. But really at Washington, it's been Grubb's show when it comes to play calling and that kind of thing. DeBoer is very hands-off. He kind of runs everything and he trusts his guys. And Grubb has done a great job in terms of making sure that Penix is prepared. People have really praised you know, Ryan Grubb for his work ethic and just putting people in positions to succeed and making sure that they're prepared for everything that they're going to see. So I think, you know, Ryan Grubb deserves a ton of success in terms of, you know, a lot of times you have that offensive mind where if it's a Steve Sarkeesian or, or Brian Kelly or anybody else where you wonder who's really running the show. And I think, you know, Kalen DeBoer, his personality, he's allowed his assistants to really dictate that and to really take some ownership. And I think Grubb deserves a lot of, uh, a lot of, credit as well for everything that Penix has done. Mike Varell from the Seattle Times joining us here on WSBT Radio. Mike, this Washington football team, had they lost to Oregon in the regular season or even in the Pac-12 title game, they might be preparing for a New Year's Six Bowl game rather than a playoff spot. Knowing the committee, who knows what they were going to do, that was a possibility. What was the difference for Washington in those wins over Oregon? And I'm wondering... The traits that you're going to talk about, are those going to be important in defeating Texas on January 1st? Yeah, I think it's hard to classify sort of the intangible of it because Washington in the last two years has now played Oregon three times. They've beaten them by three points each time. And I think these two teams, with the way that they're comprised, with Bo Nix on one side and Penix on the other, these coaching staffs, they were just destined to play classics every game. But when it came to winning time, people talk about that. Penix always had an extra play in him. And I think a big piece of that was, you know, in the 2022 game uh, that Washington won on the road in Eugene, Penix threw a, a bad interception in the end zone. And then he comes right back and throws a 62-yard touchdown. He's a guy who, when he struggles, when he makes a mistake, he's unflappable. He's incredible immediately after a mistake. And I think they've just been able to make the extra play every time, whether it's defensively, make a fourth down stop offensively, uh, Penix to Adunze in, in the regular season game this year. And I think the big thing when you go into the conference championship game, they, they felt disrespected because obviously you'd already beaten Oregon twice in a row. They're ranked higher. 
and Oregon is somehow a 10-point favorite in that game. I think nationally the thought was that Oregon was more talented, they were more physical, and Washington went into that game saying we're going to be more physical on both sides, and they really ran through Oregon, and they proved you know, this is an offense with a running back in Dylan Johnson who's run for 1,100 yards and 5.5 yards per carry and 14 touchdowns. So for as much as people want to think that this is a finesse offense or a passing offense, they can run through people, and they did that, and that's going to be important to have that side of them against a very physical Texas defense. Mike, Kalen DeBoer is really interesting to me from this standpoint. You look at his resume, and it doesn't scream, okay, this guy is going to be a successful Power 5 coach, necessarily head coach. I mean, he had offensive success, but I mean, he came up through the back roads. I mean, he wasn't privileged and have a lot, you know, coaching a lot of great places under Nick Saban and things of that nature. When he came walking in the door, what was your first impression and why do you think so early in his career he's had this kind of success? Yeah, I mean, that's really who he is, where he's a guy from, like, tiny, tiny small town in South Dakota, Millbank. Uh, I did this big story where I went to the University of Sioux Falls, where he went to school and where he coached and created a dynasty and wrote about that. And in in doing research on where he's from, Millbank, a a town of a couple hundred people, the motto of the town is, you'll really like Millbank. And that's just all it is to it. There's nothing. (laughs) It's just some, some nice folks who couldn't think of a better tagline. And, you know, it's like this is... But he really is like he is a no-nonsense, transparent, nice guy. He doesn't seem like a, like a head coach like in, in a lot of ways in terms of he's not polished in that way per se. Where when you cover Brian Kelly for three years that I did and, and many more for, for you two, um, it's not a knock on, on Brian Kelly, but he is as buttoned up as they come and as professional and as CEO and, and uh, he's a PR magnet. And, and Kalen is just going to tell you what he thinks and he's – kind of a ho-hum guy who's uh, unassuming and doesn't have the ego and he treats everyone the same all of the time, including media and players and everyone else. And I think that's what a lot of people respect him for. You know, the players love him because he cares about them and he's very frank and honest and he's just one person all the time. Um, And I think a lot of that has gone into the way that he's built culture in that program. Seattle times, Mike Varell, our guest on WSBT radio. I'll say this. I grew up a Big Ten fan. I'm still a Big Ten fan. So, Mike, welcome to the Big Ten, first and foremost. (laughs) And I'll say this. It really maybe doesn't matter, but maybe the way you answer this, it does matter. I think Washington should be the number one seed in this whole thing. They played in a better conference from top to bottom. They have better victories. Uh, Michigan has the win over Ohio State, and and that's going to carry some weight in Penn State. But beating Oregon twice and beating those Pac-12 teams, to me, and what you see on the field, they're the number one team. So do you agree with that, first of all? And second of all, would you rather play Texas or Alabama, which comes with moving from one and two? Yeah, um, I think they have definitely the best resume, but we all knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You guys are more glued in because, you one, you pay attention to college football nationally, but also from a Notre Dame perspective, Notre Dame does play Stanford, and they do play USC, so they have to kind of, pay attention to the West Coast, but we know that voters and a lot of the national media are in the Midwest and in the South, and there just isn't as much recognition um, about West Coast football, and that's okay. I think most people would accept that and would, you know, take that as fact, and it just is what it is. So, like you said, Washington really had to go undefeated to be in the playoffs. If if there's a one-loss Washington team that's a Pac-12 champion, 
or if Oregon beats Washington in the Pac-12 championship game, uh, I think a lot of us thought Oregon would have been in, but the way that things shook out, I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't have been uh, given those circumstances. So I think Washington had the most wins, the best resume. I don't think there was a world where they were going to be number one. But with that said, sure, they'd, re- they'd rather be number one in the sense that they'd rather play in Pasadena and have more fans there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very, very logistically difficult for UW fans to get to New Orleans. Flights are absolutely insane, um, and it's become a big problem. But with that said, I think Washington is more confident against Texas than they would be um, against Alabama, given that this is a Texas team, yeah, with a lot of changes, but a Texas team that they beat a year ago in a bowl game about 50 miles outside of Austin. So there's reason to be confident. Mike Burrell, hold on one second. I just want to mention this to Notre Dame fans. Audric Estime, the Irish running back, has made it official. He has entered the NFL draft. He will go to the Sun Bowl as a fan and, of course, will not participate. So what we expected is now official. Audric Estime to the NFL. Eric, continue. So speaking of the Big Ten, Mike, and and fans having trouble getting flights to New Orleans, I can only imagine what it's <laughs> going to be like getting to State College, Pennsylvania, and Iowa City, Iowa. <laughs> how do you – I mean, first football and then beyond football, how do you feel like this move is going to affect Washington? Yeah, I, I, I don't think we know for sure because it just – nothing like this has happened, but I do know that – when you talk to UW fans, there is a little bit of sadness, but I think that there's more of a sense that this is what had to happen for this program. And, and really there was a fear um, more than anything that this team was going to get left behind at some point. And they thought that they're a blue blood, that they, that they belonged with that group of the relevant parties moving forward in college football, but they needed to secure their seat at the table. And that's what they did with, uh, with moving to the big 10. It's going to be very strange. Like you said, I think when it, when it comes to, you know, getting flights to State College and to Ypsilanti and other places, I just think that there's not going to be big traveling parties from a Washington perspective. But I think they sacrificed some of the regionality to remain relevant and to feel like they're going to have the financial stability 15, 20 years from now. Um, and I think most UW fans at this point agree that that was the move that, that had to be made. But with that said, it's a very strange feeling. I don't think anyone quite knows how they're going to feel next year going forward. I'm just wondering, and I know at the end of the day it's about football, but the Olympic sports, how is that going to work? Because I can't imagine they're going to be private flying to all these destinations in the conference. Yeah, that's still getting sorted out. And, you know, like you said, I think about softball. Washington has one of the best softball programs in the country every single year. And the Pac-12 was probably the best softball conference in the country. And, uh, all of that is just thrown up into the air. And I know that, you know, you've had the Chip Kellys, other people who have proposed the idea of separating football from everything else, which I think is a great idea in theory, but will yeah. take years and years to figure out the actual specifics of. So uh, it doesn't make sense. Um, they will find a way. I, I know that. And the, the financials are such that they will find a way and it'll still, it'll still work for them. But um, if you are, yeah, if, if you're a tennis player at the University of Washington, you're not seeing the benefits that a football player is, certainly. So um, it's a strange situation, and it's one that they accepted knowing that there were going to be some hiccups here. Um, but there's no allusions to the fact that it's not, it's not as beneficial for everyone as you might hope. 
Okay, Mike, this is the most important question we'll ask you. Uh Uh-oh. So you're a Missouri grad, and Brian Kelly told a joke about Columbia Jackets, and I need to know if that joke is funny. Okay. Is it funny? Did you hear it? Did you hear him say somebody? He was leaving the press conference before Missouri LSU, and he said, we'll see you all there in Columbia with your Columbia Jackets. And nobody laughed, and he's like, oh, never mind. Yeah, he's like, that was a joke. Okay, never mind. Yeah. So would you have that laughed is, or no? I'm going to put it out there, and this is the definitive source. <laughs> not funny. That's not funny. That's just a, it's a clothing brand. You need at least a little bit more to it. It just feels lazy. And there's a lot of Columbia. So, I mean, true. You, I, I know Brian fairly well. I, I just saw him at the Heisman ceremony, by the way. Did he you? didn't try to bring out anything funny. Okay. Uh, well, he didn't say he didn't say anything to me. I saw him from a distance, but you know, he did a short little press conference. He didn't say anything remotely funny, and I would argue that that wasn't very funny either. So, <laughs> first question, coach, you won the you have your quarterback won the Heisman Trophy. How did you only go nine and three? Okay, Follow <laughs> that would have been Eric's first question. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. If they had played them in the Rawaya Quest Bowl, oh, that would have been epic. So, but but here's the follow. Is Brian Kelly's dancing funny? Oh gosh, or his um, accent? I think it was. I think it was funny at, at first, and now I think I've seen the meme and the GIF and everything yeah. so many times. If you're referring to the signing day thing with the moving camera, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, I'm just about. I think I'm just about tapped out right. on the uh, the BK dancing train. Oh boy, that's too good. Hey Mike, let me leave you with this, just to get back to Washington and their chance to win a national championship. What do you expect in the game between Washington and Texas? How does it play out? And do you believe Washington will walk away with a championship? I think, you know, when I'm looking at Washington, Texas, uh, I'm really interested in, in Texas's two dominant defensive tackles and, and whether Washington can hold up up front. They've had one of the best offensive lines in the country when it comes to allowing sacks. They've allowed 11 sacks in 13 games, which I believe is fifth in the nation. Um, how will Washington hold up? Can Texas pressure Michael Penix Jr.? If they can't, then Washington's going to look awfully good in that game. I haven't gotten to the point yet in our planning and in our writing where I've had to predict. I think I probably will predict Washington to win that game um, in a close one. I think they'll have a lot harder time in the championship game against either Michigan or Alabama just because of the style of play. So I think I'm picking Washington to make it to the national championship, and I would think I'll probably pick them to finish as the runner-up. But um, there's a lot still be decided here. But I, I think, you know, obviously Washington is the underdog in the Sugar Bowl, but I think it's a, it's a matchup given Texas's issues uh, defending the pass that, that could work, work out in Washington's favor. Awesome. Hey, make sure when you're down there at the playoffs, use Eric's name a lot. It'll get you a lot of places. <laughs> Okay. Including Arby's. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, Mike, thank All you right. so much for doing this. We we really appreciate it. Congratulations on your success and the new columnist role at the Seattle Times. Yeah. And really proud of you. Uh, yeah. And I knew stuff like this would happen. Well, I'm sitting here talking to two Porsches in terms of writers. So you guys are the best. And Mike, all the best to you. And hopefully you have some exciting things to write about in the coming weeks. Well, thanks, guys. Good to hear from you, and, and say hi to Tyler as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, be, be well. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. Take That's care. Mike Burrell, formerly of the South Bend Tribune.
did our Showtime reports here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat, the most less important thing he ever did at the South Bend Tribune, but now just doing awesome things. He is an amazing writer, and and Eric called it when he left. He's like, he's going to be big time, and there's no doubt he is big time out there in Seattle. When you get named a columnist, I mean, if yeah. that's what you want to do, that's yeah. is that kind of the ultimate? Yeah, and especially at a paper like that, I don't think they're Gannett, so they're not ruined. Um, <laughs> but he is so talented, and uh, he was a lot of fun to be around. I mean, he's just very creative. He came in, and I think, you know, I had been in the business for a long time, and I'm glad I'm open-minded enough to try to learn from everybody. I learned a lot from Mike Farrell, for a guy that was barely out of college, just yeah. – the way he approached things, um, he's he's absolutely and and a incredible person. A lot of fun to be around. The whole Arby's thing was, um, you know, a lot of times when you're on road trips, you say, oh, I know. "Hey, there's um, a McDonald's. You guys want to go there?" And there's we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Hey, there's an Arby's. He goes, "I don't want to go there." Why, Mike? And he goes, "There's fake cheese." There. <laughs> <laughs> they use fake cheese. I go, you don't have to get cheese on your sandwich, <laughs> fake or real. The Arby sauce makes up for it. <laughs> there you go. Come on. So I didn't – he was very anti-Arby, so it was pretty funny. Okay. I wonder what that reference was. Did he keep the taco tradition alive out there? The taco bar. I don't bar. know. We didn't even because of the pandemic. We yeah. never had a taco bar once That's Carter came. But we will, We will do it. The next time Carter comes to visit, we will have a makeshift taco bar nice. in his honor. Okay. Very good. By the way, did you say Gannett or Gannat? I said Gannett. Oh, but you meant Gannat. <laughs> Gannat. Okay. 552. We'll slam them twice. Well, why not? I, I have no dog in the fight. I mean, come on, right? I would say the people that work there would say the same thing. Uh, yes, I would. Agree with that 100%. All right. We got to take a timeout. Twitter question of the day is on the way. Sports Radio 960, WSBT South Bend. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Our last guest, Mike Burrell, even brought up definitive answer when he was talking about one of our questions. And of course, the greatest definitive answer show of all time, the match game. The theme for our Twitter question of the day. He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett, and we have yesterday's Twitter X, SportsBeat, InsideIndieSports.com question of the day. That's a lot. That's a long, long sentence. But here we go. With Riley Leonard at quarterback, do you expect the Notre Dame offense to be better in 2024 than it was in 2023 it was yes or no and you voted i voted no with an asterisk okay uh and i think it's because of the people around riley leonard but i do think riley leonard can do things that will help the offense but had i posted a third choice of the same would that change your answer yeah, but okay. but what you really need is better in big games. You don't have to be as good in against FCS and group of five people. Okay. 
Well, folks, 81.7% say yes. Including Richard Dawson. 18.3% said no. Including Charles Nelson Riley. People are like, who are those people? They were on Match Game 50 years ago. I don't have a pipe to smoke where I do my Charles Nelson Riley impersonation, but that's a lot of confidence. And the offensive quarter making all these new pieces come together. New offensive tackles, new quarterback, new receivers. As we mentioned a moment ago, it's official now. Audric estimated the NFL, so new starting running backs. A lot on his plate. A lot yeah. on his plate. Plus, if you keep Al Golden, you feel really good about that side of the football. And if he leaves, it still could be very, very good. But the but question was offense, yes. not is the team yes. going to be better. This I is do about think offense. the team will be better. Because I think the defense is going to be outstanding, especially if Riley Mills says yes. Do you expect Jalen Sneed in the Sun Bowl to be an every-down player at linebacker? Assuming he replaces Leofow, is that the way you would expect? I'm not sure. I think okay. Kaiser moves inside, okay. and Sneed is still more of a niche player, a mm. pass rusher and the rover. I think that's more the way it'll go. I think Kaiser will move inside. Okay. And, and J.D. Bertrand hasn't said he's one of the decisions that is still out there now. He's not coming back to Notre Dame next year, but he hasn't opted out of the bowl game, so that'll be interesting to see. If he's out, then Kaiser's definitely playing inside, and then Snead is probably starting. So that's Snead's path to the field. Bertrand not playing. I, I would say I still think he's going to play a lot of snaps because he's okay. going to be a big part of their defense next year. All right. Hey, optimism. I'm a big – I've always been a big Snead honk, and I will remain so. I think he's eventually going to be very, very good. So he could be as good at his position that Xavier Watts turned out to be at safety because you were all over him a year ago or right. so. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've had some really good weak side linebackers at Notre Dame, including Jalen Smith. I'm not putting him yeah. in that category, no. but I think he's – the more that he learns the defense, he's got traits, he's got everything you want, intelligence, work ethic, great high school coach who's a great support system for him. I just think his time is coming. That's good analysis. I like that. Yeah. I'm fired up. Okay. I'll run through a wall. I'll do whatever it takes. Okay. In favor of uh, execution. Maybe, maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. We need the soundbite of the Columbia Jackets. I'll get that for you. Okay. That's on my list. Okay, we thank you for voting. That was There was like 851 votes. 81.7% believes the offense will be better this coming year compared to last year. Okay, today's question, which you can find on my Twitter account at 960Sportsbeat. Eric's been kind enough to retweet it. Our Sportsbeat Inside Indy Sports Twitter question of the day. If Notre Dame fails to make the 2024 12-team college football playoff, would you call the season a failure? Yes or no? And the straw poll is fascinating. And it's already over 100 votes, and it's only been up a couple minutes. Yes. In a few moments, screw some offensive coaches going, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) And you're getting comments. That's what I love when I retweet. You start getting my crowd that likes the comments. No, I love it. Let me me see what they're saying. 
Let's see. Sammy says we should make it with three losses. LOL. Comparing our schedules to others, though, we are a lock. Uh, Irish fan 76 Freeman should be on the hot seat if Notre Dame doesn't. And Irish fan, no excuse to not be in the top 12 moving forward. Okay. Can't say they're wrong. I love it. I love it. Good in good insight from the fan base. I don't get bombarded like it's a message board post because then you get the the war and peace post <laughs> that goes on for two pages, but I like it. I like it. So we'd love 135 votes. It it's this is going to be probably break your meter. It may at this yeah. point. I mean, we've got 23 hours to go. Well, there's only two choices. It makes it easy, too. That's true. That's true. Very, very true. Hey, before we go to your stuff, I want to say congratulations to Mishawaka High School. They've announced turf is coming to Steel Stadium. So the 2024 Cavemen football team, they're going to play on turf. So congratulations. That's a big deal for any school. Will it be the Darren Pritchett endowed turf? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> my friend i work in radio so i don't Darren pritchett field yeah yeah i'm sure that's exactly what it's going to be all right i need to hit this button which signifies folks you're about to find out when you log on to insideindiesports.com what you will find featuring the writing of eric hansen tyler james charleston the whole crew that's right and Bill Belinsky covering basketball right. on Sunday. Um, we had our podcast today, Connor O'Neill from the Duke and the Wake Forest sites for Rivals. We had him talking about Riley Leonard, R.J. Oban, Sam Hartman, a wide receiver Notre Dame's looking at, Jamal Banks. Um, talked to him about Wake Forest taking a transfer quarterback. Um, we... Just had breaking news. Tyler James has a story up already about Audric Estime opting out of the Sun Bowl and for the NFL draft. Not a big surprise there. Charleston, that's a great um, story on a 2026 quarterback, Brady Hart, Notre Dame is looking at. Xavier Watts and Joe Alt, unanimous All-Americans. Mitch Jeter, the kicker from South Carolina, is coming to Notre Dame and much, much more. That is all coming up at Inside ndsports.com all right i'm trying to make this work here i'm having some issues because i had something for you to end the show but it's not going to work columbia bring your columbia jackets it was a joke (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll see you in columbia bring your columbia jackets it was a joke. <laughs> oh, that's great. I miss him. <laughs> Had Notre Dame played in the Rye West oh, Bowl, yeah, I was going to claim that my jacket was a Columbia jacket. I'm in favor of uh, execution. See what he said. Maybe, maybe our entire team needs to be executed. I don't know. He might tonight. not have a sense of humor with me anymore, but I was able to get – Away with those jokes, as was he. Eric, it would have been the best if you and Carter Carls, in the press conference, you get called upon, you both stand up, back-to-back, and start twirling as you ask the question, like his his recruit videos that they put on Twitter where he's circling with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> or do it with an accent. 
What if you walked in? Brian, what about your LSU defense? Oh, I don't know if he would have laughed or not. No, he wouldn't have thought that was funny. There's, <laughs> there's certain lines he, he wouldn't have thought that was funny, but in general, he he laughed at my jokes, and I laughed at his. Yeah. Oh yeah, you were always in the background. You were the one guy that laughed. You could yeah. always hear your voice. Well, we're almost the same age, so we kind of have the same dad sense of humor. Although his kids are younger than mine. Oh my gosh, the accent thing is just icing on the cake. Well, I'll tell you the best one, the one where I knew BK and I were going to get along because. At first, you know, like he pulled me aside after one practice and he didn't like something I wrote and he let me know about it in a very mature way and so forth. And I thought, oh, okay, I wonder how this is going to go. So I want to say it was the first, it was the first spring practice time, you know, wasn't the first spring practice and it was a really cold day. Oh, gosh. And the, um, the, all the quarterbacks had hand warmers. (laughs) And Brian had some expletives about get those expletive ham warmers off. And then after the practice, we were interviewing him. He was getting ready to um, go on vacation with his family, and he was already in shorts. And so he was kind of shivering. I think he wanted the press conference to end. We were just kind of circling around him outside. And I said, Coach, are you cold? And he goes, a little bit. And I go, would you like a hand warmer? No. <laughs> what did he say? Everybody just, their jaws just dropped. And he looked at me. He stared me down, and then he laughed. <laughs> and so we got along after that. But I was taking a chance. Because you never know. Sometimes he would laugh, and sometimes he would not laugh. Yeah. I mean, there, and there are times, I mean, Charlie and I, danced around and didn't always get along but towards the end we did and there was he had messed up his knee and yeah and he was on this golf cart and he would he had this like office chair that was out on the sideline and he would sit in it like a king <laughs> and so he goes off on the golf cart to go watch the defense a little bit and I go everybody watch this so I oh, go no. Charlie comes back and I'm sitting in his chair and he did think it was fun <laughs> <laughs> but not always not no. always did not always no. third person charlie didn't think it was third funny. person charlie yeah <laughs> third person charlie yeah. oh my goodness all right we'll see you in columbia bring your columbia jackets it was a joke <laughs> <laughs> it's still funny I'm maybe nobody else is laughing but we're getting a charge out of hearing that 20 million times. All right, you got to get out of here. I'm sorry. You got things to do. Audric estimated the NFL. I'll just say this. Number seven, it's been a pleasure, man. It was fun to watch that kid play. And he's going to have fun in the NFL. All right. I see. I won't see you next week. So I guess. He, and he, oh, he, I mean, the one thing about it was had he played in the Sun Bowl, he was 97 yards yeah. away from setting the single season school record for rushing yards. Not saying that that's an incentive to play, but he was that close. We're kind of knocking them off day by day. Hartman, all estimate. I wonder, is there a next step? Well, I think the ones Bertrand. we're waiting on is Bertrand and Mills. And Mills, oh, yeah, Riley about Mills coming back and playing in the bowl. But I think and, – and what he may do is he may play in the bowl and decide afterwards because they have up until January 15th that I, they could. I'm not sure Mills' value is going to be any higher than it is right now. You know, when we talk to Mike Renner, who's – a 
used to work for PFF. He's out on his own now doing the NFL analyst. He said Riley Mills is way higher than you think on the draft board. And that's why, I mean, I don't know if his value is going to be any higher. This might be a good time to jump. But if he comes back, that is great news for the old Fighting Irish. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank Always you. appreciate your time. Check out Eric's work at InsideIndieSports.com. And someone in the chat, your next chat better bring up Columbia Jackets. 610 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the stripe. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozes it to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime. 10-5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Twenty-two minutes after six o'clock, we welcome you back to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Nine sixty a.m. WSBT streaming live at wsbtradio.com, the WSBT radio app, and live a video feed on the Twitch app. Sports beat tonight is being brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the King of Beers. Happy holidays from United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. This holiday season, give the gift of hope to a hungry neighbor. Learn more at feedindiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Hope you're having a terrific Thursday. Hope you enjoyed the conversation last hour with Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. And our visit with Seattle Times Washington football writer, Mike Burrell. During our conversation with Mike Burrell... The expected news finally broke. Notre Dame running back Audric Estime is opting out of the Sun Bowl, and he is headed to the 2024 National Football League Draft. What a career for Audric Estime in South Bend for a kid that was going to go to Michigan State, then a school he admired came a-calling. He joined the Fighting Irish football program and boy are we glad that he did you know that first season only seven carries for 60 yards he got a handful of carries I think it was against Georgia Tech at Notre Dame Stadium and then we expected a breakout in 2022 and he provided a 920 rushing yard season 5.9 yards per carry bulldozed his way to 11 touchdowns and then I think we all expected a massive 2023 campaign, and Audric Estime delivered. In a season that started with a five-running-back rotation, got dwindled down as the games became more 
difficult and important. But Estime still had 210 carries this fall, 1,341 yards, 6.4 yards per carry, and 18 touchdowns. Had a long carry of 80 yards, and that, of course, was that spectacular run that Estime had down at North Carolina State. After that, a few hot dogs, as we were told, and then supposedly it didn't happen, but... I kind of think it did, and estimate after that weather delay and some hot dogs, that 80-yard touchdown run that really sparked Notre Dame, and they pulled away to beat NC State 45-24 at that point to become a 3-0 football team. You look at the numbers this year, six times estimate went over the 100-yard rushing mark, 116 against Tennessee State, 134 against NC State, 176 against Central Michigan, You take a look at the Pittsburgh game, 114 yards and three touchdowns. Went for 115 against Wake Forest, and then boom, Stanford, 25 carries, 238 yards, and four touchdowns. He also had 17 catches on the season, had four catches against Clemson and also against Duke. He was the top pass catcher in that weird, wacky game down in Death Valley, the loss to the Clemson Tigers. What's interesting, you think about all the greatness of Audric Estime, and I think we all know and respect the fact that this kid was a highly talented running back, speed and power, all in one running back body. I think he's going to have great success in the National Football League. All the pluses, his great personality. And then there's one thing that also stands out. In the biggest game of the year against Ohio State, he did not have half the carries against Ohio State. 39 carries for the Irish that day. He had 14. Now, they went for 176. That's the good news. Estimate 14 carries for 70 yards and probably more famous than anything else on that drive with about five minutes to go. The Irish had the lead trying to run out the clock. He rumbled for a first down on the first play and never got back on the field, and that's something that Irish fans have talked about on social media, message boards with their family, with their friends, with their enemies at the barbershop. And we've talked about it, of course, here on the program. That was a head-scratcher, and Audric was dying to get back in. You could see on the sideline, he was almost jumping up and down, ready to get back in, never got the chance. Buckeyes got the ball back, and I'm not going to relive the rest. But you know what? Audric was awesome for this football team. I think he was a terrific representative of this Notre Dame football program. Fans across the country that maybe didn't follow Notre Dame, you knew about this Big guy that moved pretty doggone good and reminded a lot of people of the old Irish running back, Jerome Bettis. But I'll tell you what, Estime improved his speed, I thought, since last year. And I can't wait to see what happens in the NFL. Of course, the NFL game's more physical. They can do a better job of, you know, handling a guy that big, but he's still going to be a handful at the next level. So nothing but the best for Audric Estime. He gave us three awesome years here in South Bend. And it's just really cool to see where his stats ended up here in South Bend. 2,321 rushing yards, 6.2 yards per carry, 29 rushing touchdowns. And over the last two years, 26 catches for 277 yards. And a touchdown, and he's improved his blitz pickup as well. 
Good luck, Audric Estime, in the National Football League. So, as you know, the roster is going to look a whole lot different when they take the field in the Sun Bowl. I think the things that stand out for me, what are the offensive tackle spots going to look like for Notre Dame against Oregon State with Joe Alt and Blake Fisher opting out, getting ready for the NFL draft. You got all the wide receivers gone. Let's kind of watch Jaden Mickey. I think this is a great opportunity for him. Done a great job in the role given to him this year in Al Golden's defense with Cam Hart going to the NFL draft. Mickey is going to have a big role in this defense. Christian Gray probably maybe gets a little time as well. But there's just a lot of new things happening with this football team. Steve Angeli getting his first start at quarterback. Will J.D. Bertrand play in the Sun Bowl? Looks like he's going to go to the next level. But is he going to play in the Sun Bowl? That's one guy we're waiting on, and Eric mentioned it. And that's Riley Mills, the interior defensive lineman. The Irish got Howard Cross back, arguably the MVP of the defense in 2023. But what about Riley Mills? Apparently the NFL is ready for Riley Mills. But is Riley Mills ready for the NFL or one more go here in South Bend? You bring back Mills and Cross for the interior of this defensive line. My goodness, that is a beautiful place to start. We'll see about the ends. R.J. Oberon from Duke looks like a guy that Oberon will come in and be that guy taking over for Javante Jean-Baptiste. And we'll see if the pass rush gets a little better. That's what Eric and I were talking about during a break. Just think if this defense would have had a pass rush. I mean, it was awesome. Al Golden did a great job of bringing blitzes, getting pressure on the quarterback, manufacturing pressure. Imagine if you had just a stud on the outside, how good this defense could have been. I mean, again, it was playoff worthy already, but with a pass rush that you didn't have to manufacture, my heavens, with Hart and Morrison at corners with an awesome four-man pass rush, oh my goodness. That would have been a sight to see. But still, awesome this year, the number one pass efficiency defense in the country, thank you, Al Golden and defensive coaching staff. 631 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 W. You don't know how to play first base. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, Wash. It's incredibly hard. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Every time you play one off your hips, you owe me 40 sit-ups. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey, you guys. Don't throw me anything. My girlfriend put a curse on my glove. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. You lollygag the ball around the end. You know what that makes you. Hurry. Lollygag. Twenty-two minutes in front of seven o'clock. We are live on nine sixty AM WSBT, your home of the Fighting Irish and the Sun Bowl. Notre Dame taking on the Beavers of Oregon State University. Well, it's been a busy Notre Dame football news cycle again over the last 24 hours. To give you the quick rundown, and there's a reason why I played baseball music there. I'll get to that in a second. But last night we found out Notre Dame cornerback Cam Hart, he's headed to the 2024 NFL Draft. He will opt out of the Sun Bowl. 
guy that made the transition from receiver to cornerback, just like Xavier Watts, and turned out to be a great decision. 6'3 corner with his speed, his length, going to the NFL. I think a second-day National Football League draft pick, and it would seem it opens the door for Jaden Mickey to become a starter opposite of Benjamin Morrison. So good luck to Cam Hart. We found out a little bit ago, Audric Estime, the Irish running back, opting out of the Sun Bowl. He is going to enter the 2024 NFL Draft. In addition, South Carolina place kicker Mitch Jeter has been picked up by the Irish out of the transfer portal. Jeter has been awfully good the last two years, 23 of 25 on field goal attempts, three out of five from 50-plus yards, hasn't missed inside of 50 on field goal tries, 77 of 80 on extra point attempts. He'll take over for Spencer Schrader. He's signed up for the Hula Bowl, so he's going to get an opportunity for all-star postseason football leading into the NFL draft. Maybe he becomes another Blake Groupie. Came out of Notre Dame and beat the great Will Lutz, the Saints place kicker for their job, sending Lutz to Denver. And Groupie's been okay for the Saints so far this year. And also, as expected, Irish offensive tackle Joe Alt and safety Xavier Watts. They received first-team American Football Coaches Association status, which means... They are first team in the five different All-American squads, and that makes them the 31st and 32nd all-time Notre Dame unanimous All-Americans. That is an awfully cool list to be on. Joe Alt off to the NFL Draft. Xavier Watts, nothing yet. Nagurski Award winner and has an option to come back to Notre Dame and help this defense be awesome again. Maybe he goes to the NFL, maybe the – NFL draft oven is as hot as it will be for Watts. Who knows? Who knows? But he's got a decision to make. And right now, he's still a part of this football team. And that is good news for Fighting Irish football fans. All right. Just want to spend a couple of moments on another topic. And it was a weird baseball winter meetings down in Nashville. The whole industry was kind of like plumbing. It got clogged up by Shohei Otani as the superstar throughout the entire winter meetings down in Nashville. Hardly anything happened. Now Otani has signed that ridiculous 10 years, $700 million contract with the LA Dodgers. And now we're starting to see some movement. The Chicago Cubs were reportedly in on Shohei Otani. I read today that the interest was not mutual, that the Cubs were not really in contention for the services of this superstar. So where does Jed Hoyer go now? Head of baseball operations for the Chicago Cubs. Last year, 83-79. and 79. They missed the postseason due to a horrendous September. The Arizona Diamondbacks whooped them in two series, and that's a big reason why Arizona made the playoffs and took advantage of that and got all the way to Game 5 of the World Series. For the Cubs, they finished nine games in back in Milwaukee for first place in the NL Central. The Cubs stole the Brewers manager, Craig Council, former Notre Dame star, now in charge of the Chicago Cubs dugout. You take a look at what the Cubs have to deal with in this offseason, and they've been very quiet so far. You had a couple of guys that elected free agency 
Infielder Heimer Candelario, he's now signed with the Cincinnati Reds. Michael Fulmer, Marcus Stroman's a free agent. He has not been picked up by anybody as of yet. Cody Bellinger had the massive year for Chicago last year, declined a mutual option, could be brought back, but it sounds like there are a ton of suitors, and that makes a lot of sense. A lefty power bat with his versatility, outfield and infield, highly valuable. Didn't offer a contract to a couple of former South Bend Cup pitchers, Brandon Hughes and Ethan Roberts. They did exercise club options on pitcher Kyle Hendricks and catcher Jan Gomes. So where we sit right now, the Cubs have what you would believe a need in their starting rotation unless they have someone in the minors that they feel like is ready to take a part in this rotation. I still think they'll go out and get a more proven arm because right now you have Justin Steele as your ace. You brought back Kyle Hendricks. You still have Jamison Tyon, who got better as last year went on. You got the old lefty, Drew Smiley, still hanging around. Then that fifth spot is open with Stroman now gone to free agency. The catching spot seems to be pretty well set. Jan Gomes, your starter, former South Bend Cub catcher Miguel Amaya, the backup. If he falters, they just signed a veteran backstop and Jorge Alfaro. At first base is interesting. You got Matt Mervis, who everybody fell in love with. They brought him up early last year, and it didn't work. Mervis did not have anything close to the success he had in the minors. So first base, is it Mervis's job? Well, Christopher Morrell is a guy the Cubs are highly, highly impressed by. In fact, there are reports when the Cubs tried to acquire starting pitcher Tyler Glasnow from Tampa Bay, a guy that could be considered an ace, the Rays reportedly wanted Morrell, and the Cubs said, no way. Nope. They want to use him as their super utility guy. In fact, there was a comment made, I think it was by Hoyer after the season, you could see him a lot at first base this year. So maybe Morrell's your first baseman with Mervis on standby. A guy like Reese Hoskins of the Philadelphia Phillies. Low average, good on base, power guy, strikes out a lot. Decent fielder, played for the Philadelphia Phillies, missed last year with an injury. That could be someone the Cubs could add to their lineup. Now, we know the middle infield is set. Nico Horner at second, Dansby Swanson at short. They re-signed Patrick Wisdom, all the strikeouts, all the home runs. You got Nick Madrigal, who's really a second baseman, who looked okay at third base. Do you really want to go into a go season for the Cubs with Madrigal and Wisdom as your third baseman. I still like Morrell there. I watched him in South Bend, but Cubs obviously know something that I sure the heck don't know. They haven't put him there a whole lot. What about Matt Chapman, the former A and Blue Jay third baseman? Not a high batting average normally. Has power. He is a fantastic gold glove level third baseman. I think that would be a nice addition. Let's don't act like the Cubs are poor. They can afford all this. They could bring in Hoskins. They could bring in Chapman if they wanted to. We'll see what they end up doing, but you would have to think they're going to spend on a starting pitcher. But I would love to see Matt Chapman at third base, the outfield, Ian Happ, Mike Tauschman, Seo Suzuki. You got Pete Crow Armstrong, the highly thought of former South Bend Cub championship outfielder, terrific in center field, elite defensively. Can he hit at the major league level? We're probably going to find out very, very soon. So right now, it would appear that starting pitcher, first base, third base, and bullpen 
right now are the biggest needs for the Cubs. What about Josh Hader, the Padres closer, the hard-throwing lefty? Is he in the Cubs' plans? Makes a lot of sense, but he's going to make a ton of money. But again, it's the Cubs. Money should not be an issue. So the hot stove is still flickering. It's actually going now with Otani out of the way. What's the next big move? Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 